Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about the energy industry from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to an Alpha podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha Energy, and I'm joined by Nick Fedson, Sustainability Analyst at Alpha. Hello, Nick. Welcome to you. Hi, Jeremy. And we're here to discuss what now for net zero, the hugely ambitious target in the UK and indeed in some other countries now uh, to reduce our net carbon emissions to zero by 2050. It was always going to be a tall target to reach, uh, potentially quite expensive and and dramatic achievement. Um, Has it been made more or less difficult as a result of the coronavirus and what that's done to energy demand and carbon emissions? Nick, carbon emissions and energy demand are down. Is that enough to help us on our way or is it going to cause problems as far as net zero is concerned? Yes, emissions are down. And one one point we might get into is that the level by which they are down isn't quite yet clear. But the answer to that is that we should not be celebrating any reduction in emissions that is achieved only as a result of an economic collapse. We can't celebrate emissions reductions that come from demand reduction and the horrific impacts that we're seeing on the economy. Because with a compromised economy, any kind of recovery and and bounce back from demand uh, is probably going to be met uh, in a dirtier fashion. So the problem of climate change certainly isn't going anywhere, and we may be more compromised in our ability to fight it in the future when we start recovering. Well, that's a very good point. And of course, nobody knows yet what the nature of the recovery is going to be. And and whether it's a 4% or an 8% reduction we've experienced in our emissions, and we'll find that out in time, um, the speed at which we pull out of uh, of lockdown and economic activity starts to pick up uh, is going to have a profound impact on the carbon emissions. But it's possible, isn't it, uh, Nick, that, that some of that demand, there may be some permanent demand destruction. I'm thinking of areas like aviation, possibly even some use of public transport itself, where, where people aren't going to go back to the same ways of, uh, of consuming and, and burning energy as before. Uh, that's an interesting area. That might actually help us a little bit in terms of reducing our footprint, might it? I think you're right, Jeremy. Um, Despite uh, demand reduction being uh, currently more of concern than anything else for climate policy, uh, we do acknowledge that reaching net zero emissions and and successfully fighting climate change in part has to see some form of permanent demand destruction in some sectors. And the sectors that we get told to tackle ourselves through individual action often are sectors like uh, aviation, forms of private transport. And we've seen uh, we've seen demand for fossil fuels in those sectors become totally demolished. But what I would question is whether the economic impact of demand destruction in those sectors, like the wiping out of the tourism industry and the enormous economic trauma that's been uh, inflicted on those sectors, Uh, makes them the most appropriate ones in which we should be trying to achieve permanent demand destruction. So it is an area of concern, and uh, I think we need to see what the recovery is going to look like, because some of these sectors are, we need to be growing green sectors as well. And you grow green sectors, We, we want to grow green sectors through a just transition, which means taking dirtier sectors shrinking them and moving them into 
adapting their, their resources into, into green sectors. And perhaps some of the demand destruction that we're seeing right now doesn't quite suit itself to a just transition. Indeed, and it's an interesting point because demand destruction sounds a, a very loaded phrase, um, but it can be positive as well as, ne as, as well as negative. I mean, if, if you're stopping people doing things they really want to do, there's a public reaction to it. But if it's because of a change, uh, a change in view, perhaps realising that a lot more work can be done from home without lengthy commutes, um, something that may be attractive to employers as well as employees in terms of the cost of uh, providing working space and so on. Some of these long, longer term impacts might actually be positive for society and positive for emissions, whereas, you know, of others perhaps relating to certain aspects of tourism might be more controversial. But you mentioned um, the importance of decarbonising uh, other industries as well. And this may mean uh, use of technologies as well as renewables, but carbon capture and storage for certain industrial processes and so on. That's going to require a lot of capital to fund it. And these industries are going to, aren't going to find that very easy at the moment. Are we going to have the funding available, the public funding, to help this transition take place, do you think, given the billions that's having to be spent coping with the immediate crisis? I think it's going to be difficult. The observation that I would make, you know, in place of providing a, a, a full answer to your question, is that the coronavirus pandemic has allowed governments to, to display leadership in a way that they haven't done for a long time in many countries. Governments now have a clarity of messaging and a, and a unity in their response and an ability to, to show strong leadership that might be a, a sign of, you know, it, it might give us hope for the, the response that they are able to produce in the future to climate change. So while public funding is going to be difficult to produce, we're in a time now where governments aren't afraid to, you know, step up to the plate and print money and, and really get involved and show leadership. So I think that's possibly some hope for the future uh, for government responses to climate change. And speaking of government responses, you know, the international negotiations hosted by the UN, uh, the COP meetings, conferences of the party, uh, parties that, that, that take place annually, uh, the UK, scheduled to be hosting or co-hosting the um, the COP26 meeting, I think originally uh, th this autumn in Glasgow, and that's been postponed till next year. Um, does that, does, does postponing that represent a step back for the international negotiations, or it might even be an opportunity? I mean, I mean there may be clarity about um, who's in the White House, and in, in America's very important in all of this, um, and, you know, trying to negotiate something in the middle of the coronavirus crisis would be tricky. So perhaps providing a bit more space for climate negotiations next year is a positive thing. What do you think? I think it's difficult to say. I think uh, any any environmental activist would tell you that Climate change isn't being put on hold, so none of our negotiations should be put on hold either. But like you say, uh, governments are very uh, preoccupied with their own domestic responses to their their own domestic health crises, and you know global diplomacy has has shrunk. COP26 is, of course, the most important climate meeting since the Paris Agreement was originally signed. It was supposed to do a lot of important things uh, since the inception of the Paris Agreement, but it's had even more importance placed on it in recent years. The, the last climate meeting, COP25, was supposed to tackle 
Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, which meant talking about global carbon markets, which, of course, is one of the key policy ideas to get, uh, you know, the kind of multilateral global response that we need to effectively decarbonize in theory. But they didn't get around to discussing that in, in, in COP25, and it was pushed back to COP26. So I would say, yes, next year we might have more breeding room to discuss uh, some of the really important things that we need to for climate policy. But the fact that we are doing it, you know, possibly a year later, the only raises the stakes, let's say. That's a very good point. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the, the truth of the matter is that in, in dealing with a long-term crisis, like um, uh, of the sort um, posed by climate change, we do have to survive the short-term one first in order to be in a position to do do much about it. And, and it's unsurprising, perhaps, that uh, attention is drawn away there. But important, uh, nonetheless, to make sure we don't lose sight of the, of, the, of the longer-term objectives as well. Well, Nick, thanks very much for that. It's been extremely interesting, definitely, definitely one to watch for the future. Uh, I'm not sure if we quite answered the question, what now for net zero, so watch this space. Uh, if you'd like any further information from Alpha Energy or to look at our reports, have a look at our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK. And we hope you join us again for a podcast soon.